So uh, we are in the middle of a series called um, Serious Learning, talking about uh, learning uh, what Jesus teaches us and taking that seriously and applying it to our lives. We've been going through the Beatitudes. Today we are ready for Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. Um, this is the word of Jesus. He says, God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. Today we're going to talk about strength under control. This verse here, God blesses those who are humble, they will inherit the whole earth. In different translations, the word humble is, is uh, substituted for meek or uh, gentle. And these three words, humble, meek, gentle, um, they encompass the same meaning, uh, although they have a little bit different uh, different parts about the words that that can be applied a little bit differently, but they all encompass the same kind of idea, meek, gentle, and humble. Probably my favorite version is from the NIV, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. That's because probably that's a short one and it's easier to remember. Blessed are the meek. Meek is a hard one to, to understand. It definitely does not mean weak at all. It's, I think, the, probably the best way to describe it is a compound bow. If you've ever shot a compound bow, um, Cage shaking his head, it should be this way because he shoots a lot. Uh, a compound bow is really powerful. And when you pull it back, it has this breakover point, and then when it breaks over, it's easier to hold back. When you get it to that point, um, it's easy to hold, but there's still a lot of energy in that contraption and all the cams and pulleys. There's a lot of energy. And just one simple push of a button, a release of the fingers, rela releases a lot of power there all at once. And my wife, uh, she really likes to, to shoot archery. She's probably been into archery um, longer than I have, and uh, she was teaching our kids the, the you know, very specifics of, of shooting a bow one day, and, um, and we all know, everybody knows you never release the string on a compound bow without an arrow in there, because bad things happen. The, blow, the bow will explode, it will blow up, and, and pulleys will fly everywhere, strings will go off, and uh, it's a bad thing. It has to have an arrow in it before you release it. And so my wife was teaching my kids exactly how to do it, specifically Flint, telling them, this is your posture and everything. Well, in the midst of it, she forgot to put an arrow in, <clears throat> and she released her bow at the target without an arrow in it. Um, honest mistake, I would have done it, but at that point in time, it sounded like a rifle shot went off. And her bow, like, it seemed like it exploded and smoke came off. I don't know if it's dust or smoke, actually, or not. But uh, I had no idea what happened. She didn't either. Now, it didn't, exp it didn't break the bow too badly, although we do have to replace some parts. But there is a lot of energy inside of a compound bow. But if you keep it under control and use it properly, then... It's not a dangerous tool. It's uh, not something that is just going to go off and harm people. It is very useful 
and uh, very powerful for what you need it to be. You know, anyone can blow up and cause lots of damage. Jesus teaches and role models humility and meekness. And the more we get a handle on the teaching of Jesus as far as what it is to be humble and meek, the more effective we are on this earth. Now, let me tell you about a time <clears throat> when David learned a lesson on meekness. If you want to turn with me in your Bibles, it's in 1 Samuel chapter 25. 1 Samuel chapter 25. So the situation is Samuel the prophet has died. Samuel, Samuel the last judge and He's the one who anointed David to be king, and he is now gone. Well, David, as you can imagine, was probably didn't feel the best about this situation. So what did David do? He went to the wilderness. Scripture says David went to the wilderness. We don't specifically know if it was because David was sad or because he was worried about Saul coming after him. But he just, he just went to the wilderness, the desert. Well, you know who else is in the desert, in the wilderness? A man named Nabal. What do we know about Nabal? Nabal was a wealthy man. The text says that he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. Well, that was a big deal back then. I don't know how much a sheep is worth, but 3,000 is a lot of them. And this man was wealthy. He had a wife, her name was Abigail, and she was sensible and beautiful. That's what the word says, sensible and beautiful, as opposed to her husband, in which the scripture says he was crude, mean, and selfish in all his dealings. And it says in all of his dealings. So we must assume that this man, Nabal, was crude and mean and selfish when he dealt in business and when he dealt with his wife and kids, if he had any, and when he dealt with his neighbors. He's mean, <coughs> selfish. Well, David and his men were camped in the same area as Nabal's flock and herdsmen. Remember, there would have been a lot of herdsmen. A big flock, and so David was in that same area, and David treated Nabal and his flock, or Nabal's herdsmen, treated them really well. He even protected the sheep and uh, all of Nabal's men. Uh, David and his men um, protected them. Now, that wasn't David's mission. David wasn't in the wilderness to protect Nabal's operation. No, he went out of his way to help Nabal. Well, one day uh, David heard that Nabal was shearing his sheep. Evidently a sheep shearing situation back in the day was a party uh, because it was a time of a festival when you sheared your sheep. Now, if you've ever sheared a sheep, I don't think I would call it a party. Uh, I was part of it one time, but uh, probably the economic gain after the sheep were sheared was the partying part of it. And so um, David sent a message to Nabal and says, hey, can we be part of the celebration? Can you spare some provisions for my soldiers? This is what David asks Nabal. 
Now, we must keep in mind that Nabal's uh, operation is not just probably a single household. Um, it's probably many households, lots of sheep, lots of people to take care of them. So we have David and his crew and uh, Nabal and his crew, both probably large parties. And so uh, David says, hey, can we, can we come and party with you? Now, David seems to have a sense of entitlement here. To, you know, ideas like, okay, we've been protecting your sheep. Now, why don't you invite us to eat some of your good food when you shear your sheep? And you know what Nabal says? When David sends a messenger to uh, ask him, hey, can we come over? Nabal says, who do you think you are, David? No, no, you can't come. You expect me to give you food? No, you can't come. Do you know what David said when he got the message back? Like the messenger came, all right, Nabal, I'll tell David. The messenger comes back and tells David uh, that Nabal says no. And uh, David told his men, get your swords. Strap on your swords. He takes 400 men. He's going to meet Nabal. He's going to teach Nabal a lesson. He says, I'll take out every man in his household. That's what David said. Now, one of uh, Nabal's servants overheard the whole situation. Heard David tell the other guys, get your swords. Of course, this servant, servant of Nabal is a man, so he falls within the category of the people that David is going to kill. And he's like, oh, oh no. And of course, he's running back to Nabal's uh, operation to report what's happening. Now, this servant, we got to give him a little bit of credit because he's got a little bit of wisdom going on. He did not go to Nabal. He must have known his master. Nabal was uh, mean, selfish, crude, not a wise man. And so Nabal's servant goes back to Abigail. He chooses Nabal's wife. You know what? That's an excellent choice because Abigail has probably had to deal with Nabal for, well, we don't know how long they were married, but she's dealt with him before. Now, maybe you've seen that true in your life. Sometimes uh, if something goes wrong, the wife might be the easier one to talk to. I know kids often say, well, if something bad's happened, tell your mom first because dad, well, he's going to lose his head. I hope that's not the case in, in your house, but uh, it sometimes is. It definitely is in this situation. And so the servant goes to Abigail and said, David is going to wipe us out. He's going to kill all the men. And if I go to Nabal, he's not going to fix it. Abigail, can you fix this? Abigail wasted no time. She got 200 loaves of bread some wine, some sheep, some grain, some raisins, some fig cakes, loaded them on donkeys, and she didn't tell Nabal. She went to meet David. She presented to David all the goods that she had prepared, and she, uh, she appealed to him, David, please spare us. My husband is an evil man. Uh, let us live. 
Well, David decided to spare Nabal and his men. He says to Abigail, bless you for, for keeping me from carrying out vengeance with my own hands. Abigail returns home and finds that her husband is throwing a big party, probably for himself. Can you imagine? Abigail had just saved everyone from dying by the sword of David. And she gets home and her selfish husband is throwing a big party. Well, he is so drunk, the scripture says, you know, he's so drunk <clears throat> that he couldn't hear anything. So she decides to wait until he sobers up to tell him. And when she does tell him what was about to happen, he has a stroke and a little later dies. Now, I'm going to pull some points out of this story to help us understand the concept of Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those with strength under control. Becoming a Christian, by the way, a Christian means a little Christ. It means be, being like Jesus. Becoming a Christian is a process. It takes time, and God uses experiences in our life to conform us into the likeness of his son. Now, one of the tools that God uses is testing. And I don't like that tool. Nobody likes that tool, probably. We don't like to be tested, but it's, it's something that God uses. And there are several examples in Scripture of God testing people in a way that prepares them to advance to their next assignment. As much as we don't like testing, we must admit that it uh, does help us to learn things and to move on to the next point. 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse 1, as I mentioned, Now Samuel died, and all Israel gathered for his funeral, and they buried him at his house in Ramah. Then David moved down to the wilderness of Maon. Samuel was the last judge. You remember the judges, Samson and all those? So Israel did not have kings at one point. They had judges, but they whined and complained because the, the kingdoms around them had kings, and they um, said, uh, we want a king. So God decides to give them a king, and that is King Saul. Um, and then eventually, you know, uh, David is to become king after Saul. But Samuel is the last remaining judge. So he was the authority in the land, and even though there was King Saul at this point, Samuel still had some authority and some pull. Well, now that he has died, David, whom was appointed to be king by Saul already, not Saul, by, by uh, Samuel, is now on his own. David is on his own. And Saul is trying to kill David. He's after him. David knows he has been anointed king, but he hasn't been installed as king. So what does David do? He retreats to the wilderness. The wilderness can represent a place of testing. We see this in other parts of Scripture. Jesus was tested in the wilderness. Israel was tested in the wilderness for 40 years. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2 uh, remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character 
and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. So what happens to David in the wilderness? He's tested. He comes across a punk, Nabal. And God takes this opportunity to test David's character. What kind of king will David be? How will he deal with Nabal? Now from this text we can detect a sense of entitlement from David. Verses uh, 4 through 8. When David heard that Nabal was shearing his sheep, he sent ten of his young men to Carmel with a message for Nabal. Peace and prosperity to you and your family and everything you own. I am told that it is sheep shearing time. While your servants stayed among us near Carmel, we never harmed them, and nothing was ever stolen from them. Ask your own men, and they will tell you this is true. So would you be kind to us since we have come at a time of celebration? Please share any provisions that you might have on hand with us and with your dear friend, uh, David. In verse 6, we see the appeared politeness. He says, peace and prosperity to you. It kind of sounds like David's buttering Nabal up. Like, hey, we've done this good thing for you, and I want peace for you, so why don't you help us out? He reveals how beneficial he has been to Nabal. Even though David is not reigning in the palace as king, in the wilderness he is looked upon as a leader. He protects people from the Philistines, and he's doing some good work out there. And because of that, David is expecting to receive some payback. He's expecting to be rewarded for some things that he is doing and he hasn't been asked to do. They're good things, but it isn't necessarily his job. And then, when David uh, sends his request, <clears throat> he was insulted by Nabal. Verse 10. Nabal says, who is this fella? He sneered to the young men. Who does this son of Jesse think he is? There are lots of servants these days who run away from their masters. Should I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have slaughtered for my shears and give it to a band of outlaws who come from who knows where? Nabal insults his name. It's like calling him a nobody. Now, who knows Kyle Eidelman? Maybe a lot of us know Kyle Eidelman. So who Kyle Eidelman is, he's, he's a preacher of one of the, the biggest churches, uh, Christian churches in Kentucky. Um, he's the leader of the small group. Well, he does the video series of the small group that we're about to do. That's Kyle Eidelman. Um, he's, actually, I used to hang out with Kyle Eidelman in college. Uh, he went to OCC at the same time I was going to Pitt State, so we used to hang out. But Kyle Eidelman is pretty well known um, in the Christian church realm. If he walked in today and our greeters seen him and said, uh, you're not welcome here, who are you? Then that would be pretty disrespectful, especially if they knew who it was. Oh, maybe we could throw somebody else in there that we would know uh, better, like a famous singer or uh, maybe our sheriff or something like that. You know, somebody walks in whom you know, but you're so 
selfish or troubled in your mind, and you say, yeah, who are you? You haven't done anything for me that I care about. This is what Nabal says. Who are you, David? We know that David is well known. Uh, he killed Goliath. so Everybody had to know David. Uh, you know the song that uh, makes Saul so jealous. People are singing, Saul has killed his thousands, and David has killed his ten thousands. David was a warrior. He was well known. Nabal insults his name. You know, Nabal also insults his identity. He says, who are you, a bandit, an outlaw, a runaway? And how does David respond to this insult? Well, verse 13, get your swords, was David's reply, as he strapped on his own. Then 400 men started off with David, and 200 remained behind to guard their equipment. <laughs> David's about to take care of this situation once and for all in the wrong way. He's about to wipe them out. Mm. David was angry, and it was a reaction was to get revenge for being insulted. And here's the test. You see, just one chapter before Saul was pursuing David to kill him, Saul goes into a cave. So in chapter 24, right before he meets uh, Nabal in the wilderness, um, Saul was, or David was running from Saul, and uh, David goes into a cave, hides in the back of the cave, and you guys probably know the story. In comes Saul to relieve himself, and David could have taken Saul's life right then and there. It would have been easy. But uh, David doesn't. He said, uh, it's not my job to kill the Lord's anointed. So he decides not to kill Saul at that point in time and lets him live. Well, uh, when David is trying to, when David is saying to this, or why is David saying this to Saul? It's because he knew what it said in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. In chapter 24, David says, I won't harm you. It's up to the Lord. And keep in mind, this is to Saul, uh, a man who was trying to kill him. But now David is faced with a foolish man who only insults him. Nabal isn't trying to kill David. He just insults him, and David is ready to take him out and all the males in his household. Verse 22 even says, May God strike me and kill me, even if, if even one man of his household is still alive by tomorrow morning. David is serious. Now, thankfully, when we are tempted to sin, God provides escape. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. And when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. And then Nabal's sensible wife intervenes. She gathers food and she goes to meet David. She admits that her husband is a wicked man, a fool, and she reminds David of his true identity in the Lord. 
and that God is the one who takes care of him. And then she says in verse 30, When the Lord has done all he promised and has made you a leader of Israel, don't let this be a blemish on your record. Then your conscience won't have to bear the staggering burden of needless bloodshed and vengeance. Again, we really have to give credit to Abigail here. She is really put together well. She gives credit to God for keeping David from murdering and taking vengeance into his own hands. And then verse 32, David replied to Abigail, Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you to me today. Thank God for your good sense. Bless you for keeping me from murder and from carrying out vengeance with my own hands. David passed the test and built his character. In the next chapter, chapter 26, there's a situation with Saul again. David has a chance to kill Saul a second time. He sneaks into the field where Saul is sleeping. Saul's guards are also all sleeping around them, and Saul's spear is stuck into the ground right beside him. David has a chance to kill him. Even David's uh, soldier that's right beside him, one of David's men, is like, okay, David, uh, let me just take that spear and I can just pin Saul to the ground right now. We'll be, we'll be done with it. Well, D- David seems to have learned his lesson in the middle, the test. And he says, no, we mustn't kill the Lord's anointed. Now, we know that David went on to become king, um, probably the best king that Israel had, even though he was far from perfect. Now, for the most part, um, David learns to be meek, to harness his power, to harness his position and his authority, whether it be with 400 men, with swords, or a whole kingdom. He learns to submit that power to God's control. This is a lesson that he passed on to his son, Solomon, who wrote in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 22, Don't say I will get even for this wrong. Wait for the Lord to handle the matter. Jesus says this lesson applies to us too. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. There may be times in life when we feel like we don't have the respect or the honor that we deserve, or that we don't have the position or the material things that we deserve, but the lesson is don't try to get those things for yourself. Now here's some application for us. Entitlement. Remember, David uh, felt like he was entitled to some things that Nabal had. We don't want to be like David and have that sense of entitlement in the process of becoming a Christian, becoming like Christ. When this verse says, um, you will inherit the earth, an inheritance is something that you get at a particular time. When you try to take it, that is you choosing the time. That's not God's timing. The inheritance that God offers us 
will come at the proper time. It will come when he chooses. It's not something that we can earn or that we deserve. You receive it because it's been promised to you. You don't just take what you want. You need to have your power under control and submit it to God. Now, Jesus also teaches us to let insults roll off our back, which can be very, very hard. When someone insults you or takes advantage of you, it's an opportunity to grow your character, to become more like Christ. You don't need to slander them back. You don't need to post mean things on social media. The power of your words needs to be harnessed. Proverbs chapter 18 says, The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. Let the insults roll off your back. How about taking revenge? And Jesus says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek. You don't have to punch them back. Now, I'm reminded of uh, an old movie, um, Jeremiah Johnson. Maybe you know the story. Bad, horrible, horrible things happened to Jeremiah Johnson's family. The natives, natives kill his family. And so he goes on a series of, he goes on the warpath. Starts hunting down the natives, killing every single one that he can find. Doesn't matter what tribe they are. Doesn't matter if they were involved at all with uh, with attacking his family. He just kills, kills, and kills everyone that he finds. It doesn't work out for him. The point is, when we take revenge, it never satisfies us. It grows bitterness and hatred in our soul and it leads the opposite direction of being like Jesus. So when we are insulted or when we are wronged, we should respond to the Holy Spirit. You know, it's like Abigail. The Holy Spirit intervenes by reminding us of God's word. And he suggests, uh, he, he pleads with us to act according to the fruit of the Spirit. Gentleness, self-control, kindness. We have a choice in the matter, whether we respond to the Holy Spirit or not, and how we respond to others. Let the Spirit lead you. Romans chapter 12, verse 17 Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge, I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Jesus teaches some good stuff. The best, really. Let's take it seriously. He is our ultimate example of meekness, of 
gentleness, of being humble. The ultimate example of strength and power under control. Just think about it. As he went to the cross, as he was beaten and uh, tortured and slandered and spit upon, he had all the power that he needed to stop that in an instant, all the power of God, but he didn't. He kept that power under control for a very specific purpose. That purpose was you and I. Think of the compound, though. How much power is in that device? And at the right time, if we use it correctly and release the string, the arrow can hit its mark and accomplish the purpose that we've intended it to. If we wait to the right time, well, Jesus had all that power of God, and he waited till just exactly the right time, held in that power. You know, God is the commander, and we wait for his go. We wait for him to tell us it's time, like Jesus did. So I'm begging you to stop flinging arrows at each other. Stop flinging arrows at poor fools like Nabal. We know that our fight is not against flesh and blood. The enemy is Satan. God has given us all the Holy Spirit if we've accepted him. And that's power. Are you going to use it like God wants you to use it? In a humble, in a gentle, in a meek way? Go on God's command. And then you'll strike the right target. After all, the battle belongs to the Lord. We are his soldiers. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for your word. Thank you for your example that you gave to us through David. Lord, we appreciate.